And now, a great invasion of locusts will strike the land. In our passage tonight, God restates His demand to Pharaoh on the consequences if Pharaoh did not pay heed to his demand. And the demand was simple. God told Pharaoh to set his people free so they could serve him. And if Pharaoh did not let God's people go, then Pharaoh's land would be destroyed. Locusts would now cover the land. The Egyptians had already lost most of their livestock to the, most of the their livestock and their crops. Now locusts would wipe out what was left of the vegetation. Locusts. It said it is said that locusts are capable of reproducing rapidly and traveling over long distances in huge swarms eating every living plant in their path. It is said that a swarm of locusts can devastate the vegetation of a countryside with amazing speed and diligence. Nothing can stop them. I did a little research and there have been several locust plagues throughout our history. In the 1920s and 30s, devastated across Africa and wiped out thousands and thousands and thousands of miles, of square miles. It it wiped out almost double the size of the United States. In 1988, the Chicago Tribune reported that billions of locusts were moving across North Africa, blotting out the sun. In 2004, there was a devastating plague of locusts that swept through eastern Australia, damaging an area twice the size of England. Crazy, huh? And locust was a common insect in Bible times. And locusts were eaten as a delicacy. John the Baptist ate locusts. Even today, locust is a source of protein in many different cultures. I actually saw a recipe the other day for honey spiced locusts. I'm bringing that to the next marriage ministry potluck. <laughs> Little barbecue sauce. and So the plague of locusts was dreaded. It was a dreaded disaster in that time. Let's read our verses tonight. Tonight we are going to look at Exodus chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. Exodus 10, verses 1 through 11. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them that you may know 
that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go, that they may serve me. Or else, if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory, and they shall cover the face of the earth, so that no one will be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail. And they shall eat every tree which grows up for you out of the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of your servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your father's father have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then, the, then Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? So Moses and Aaron were brought again, brought again to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. Who are the ones that are going? And Moses said, We will go with our young and with our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds, we will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Then he said to them, The Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. Beware, for evil is ahead of you. Not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. So in our passage tonight, we are going to look at the directive to go to Pharaoh, verses 1 and 2, the encounter with Pharaoh, verses 3 to 7, and the response by Pharaoh, verses 8 through 11. The directive, the encounter, the response. Look at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine before him. God told Moses to meet with Pharaoh. The, the phrase there, go into Pharaoh, it most likely indicates that Moses went into Pharaoh's palace to meet with him. If you think about it, that's a crazy command. Go talk to the Pharaoh. Go into his palace. And there are times when God calls us to meet with certain people. Sometimes the Lord puts people into our paths to minister to and it's not always easy. And it's not always pleasant. I was remembering when I was doing this... One day I'm pulling into Home Depot and I'm getting going to get off my car and all of a sudden I smell pot. And I go, smoking. I see a guy in a truck a few cars down. And I knew the Lord had told me right then and there, Henry, go speak to him. I'm like, no, what do I do? this guy's going to shoot me. He's gonna, you know, and the Lord was tugging on my heart. So I went over and you know, he sees me and, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's, you know, 
And I go over to his window and I go, hey, man, how you doing? He goes, yeah, I'm all right. He's smoking pot, huh? Puts his head down. Long story short, he ended up being a backslidden Christian. And I got to minister to him and he rededicated his life to the Lord right there. And I was like, wow, Lord, I'm so happy I obeyed you. You know, it was one of those times where you know God's telling you and sometimes we obey, sometimes we don't, you know, and think about it. You know, there are times when God calls us to meet with certain people. The prophets were sent to speak to different people and it was not always easy. Ezekiel was was sent to speak to the children of Israel. And God said to Ezekiel, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel. He said, To a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me and and they and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day. And God says, For they are impudent and stubborn children. I'm sending you to them. And you are to say to them, Thus says the Lord God. And then God goes on to tell him, For they are a rebellious house. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or be afraid of their words. God tells Ezekiel. He says, you shall speak my words to them whether they hear or whether they refuse. For they are rebellious. Ezekiel three, uh, 2, 3 to 7. So there are times God, that God commands us to speak to certain individuals. And like I said, it's not always easy. But when we serve God faithfully, we need to be aware that sometimes it involves circumstances and it involves sometimes nasty people. And also, we need to realize that when we declare God's message, those that we are ministering to may not respond very well to the message. God did not promise Moses here that Pharaoh would be converted. But he told Moses to go anyway. So if God commands us to preach the gospel, we need to preach it regardless of the response of people. Because the preaching of the gospel, it glorifies the Lord. Whether people receive the gospel or not. And the bottom line is that in, in all that we do as our service to the Lord is that God is glorified and we obey his voice when he tells us to do something. And we should not be discouraged or give up because of a lack of results. We are to be faithful to God to share his message and let him take care of the results. Moses was just the messenger of God. God was the one who was really in control. Look at the middle of verse 1. God says, For I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants. And we've been seeing this kind of, uh, you know, in the beginning of Exodus, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and then God hardens his heart, and here we have it again. For I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servants. The word hardened means that God made Pharaoh's heart and the hearts of his servants um, heavy or dull or numb. And he made his heart numb in their rebelliousness. In other words, God was giving Pharaoh over to a stubborn heart. His heart was unyielding. And it was unyielding actually to the point of madness. 
And in hardening Pharaoh's heart, God allowed Pharaoh to have what his stubborn heart desired. A hard heart against the Lord and against his people. Romans 1 speaks about this. Talks about those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And the passage says that although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. And then it says, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And the passage goes on to say that God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And then it says, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. And it gets into how the women exchange the natural use for the women and the men for the men. And then at the end of that, it says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. Romans 1, 26 through 28. So you see this progression of unyielding, stubborn, willful, hardened sinfulness that God at a certain point says, okay, you do not want to pay heed to the warnings. I'm going to give you over to your sin. I don't know where that point is. I don't want to be at that point. But there is a point. It's a scary place to be where this type of judgment from God happens. Notice God tells Moses the purpose to be accomplished for hardening their hearts at this point. Look at uh, the end of verse uh, 1 into verse 2. It says that I may show these signs of mine before him and that you may tell in the hearing of your sons and your son's son, son's sons, son's son, the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them that you may know that I am the Lord. So God is in essence, in essence is saying, okay, Pharaoh, you... You want to play games and you don't want to humble yourself before me. You want to harden your heart against my demand, then I'm going to harden your heart and take it to the point where you'll definitely know who you are dealing with. Notice the end, what the end of verse 1 says, that I may show these signs of mine before him. This refers to the power of God. The plagues were displaying the power of God. Pharaoh and all of Egypt were getting a real demonstration of God's power in, the, in these plagues. And they demonstrated that God was more powerful than any God, small g, that, that the Egyptians worshipped. Also, God was going to give opportunity to the Israelites to tell their future generations about God, about His great power and His great deliverance. Look again at verse 2, that you may, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them. God wanted Moses to tell his sons and his grandsons of the great deliverance of God. And this was a responsibility that Moses took seriously. In fact, uh, turn to Exodus 18 real quick, which you're going to be covering in a few weeks. Exodus 18, when you get there, in Exodus 18, Moses meets up with his father-in-law Jethro. And, and verse 8 tells us that 
Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them on the way. And then it says, and how the Lord had delivered them. Moses told Jethro the story of deliverance and how God's purpose was fulfilled. Look at verse 9 there of Exodus 18. It says, Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods for in the very thing in which they behave proudly, he was above them. So it was this story that we're in the midst of here in Exodus 10 that helped Jethro to know God and to glorify him. And this testimony of God's deliverance, it is used, it was used in a very powerful way. And this story of God's great deliverance was not only for Moses, but it would give the Israelite parents an opportunity to tell their children. The Israelite parents had a responsibility for, to tell their children about the Lord. Turn to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus 12, 26 and 27. It says, And it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? That you shall say, It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the house of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Look at Exodus 13. Exodus 13, 14. It says, So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? That you shall say to him, By strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Turn to Deuteronomy real quick. Deuteronomy 6, verse 20. Deuteronomy 6, verse 20 uh, when the, the children would ask why, why they had to keep God's commands, they would say to them, as this passage instructs, it says, when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is the meaning of the testimonies, the statues and the judgments, which the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders before our eyes, great and severe, against Egypt, Pharaoh and his, all his household. Then he brought us out from there that he might bring us in to give us the land of which he swore to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to observe all these statues to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. And then verse 25 sums it up, says, Then it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to observe all these commandments before the Lord our God as he commanded us. So, Israel was instructed constantly about the important responsibility 
to bear witness to God's deliverance and the importance of obeying the Lord. And it was not only for the generations of Moses, it is also for our generation as believers to tell our children and to tell our grandchildren what God has done in our lives. We, li- we need to let them know of the great deliverance that we have had from Egypt, the world. And I'm not suggesting that we, you know, we give all the ugly details of our past life to them. But we can let them know in a clear way we, how we turned from a life of sin and gave our life to the Lord and He delivered us. And we can use our testimony as an opportunity to minister to them, to our kids and our grandkids, of the need to, for them to give their lives to the Lord and walk with Him and abide in Him. Do you realize the responsibility that we have as parents, as grandparents, to tell them about the Lord? Sunday, Sunday church for the kids is awesome. I love it. My boys grew up in it. have great memories of it. But children should learn the truths of God not only at church, but in the home. Especially in the home. Church should not be a substitute to minister to our children about the Lord and instruct them in His ways. Church begins in the home. And we have the greatest story to tell our children and our grandchildren. The story of Jesus Christ who delivered us out of Egypt, who brought us out of the bondage of sin. Psalm 127 tells us children are a heritage from the Lord. What are, what, is the, what are we doing with that heritage? What a history lesson to tell our children and grandchildren of the virgin birth, his life here on earth, his sacrifice on the cross and his victorious resurrection. That's a history lesson that explains really everything a child should know in life. There's no more important responsibility than to tell the story of Jesus to others, especially our own family. And another purpose in the plagues was that God was going to give witness to Israel that he was also their covenant God. Notice uh, the end of verse 2. It says that you may know that I am the Lord. That you may know. It means that you may learn, that you may perceive, that you may discern, that you may experience, that you may recognize that I am the Lord. I am your covenant God. And it is in response to Pharaoh's statement also when he says this, Going back to chapter 5, verse 2, or when Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? And he's saying that you may know that I am the Lord. And the focus is on the name of Yahweh in contrast to the many pagan gods that were known in Egypt at that time. That you may know that I am the Lord. And there's nothing like knowing that you know who the Lord really is. The covenant God of your heart, the covenant God of your soul, the covenant God of your life. And many times, the truth of God being our covenant God is reinforced 
when we see the Lord deliver us from a situation, like they're going to see, like they have been seeing, or when we gain victory from a situation and we recognize that the Lord's hand was in it in such a way that you know that He is real. So the plagues had a vital purpose of helping the Israelites to know their God. And the Israelites were to pass down the story of God's deliverance, not just for the sake of national identity or just to give their families a good education, but they were to pass it down, the stories of God's great deliverance, because it promoted, it it gave witness to the knowledge of God, who He is. The covenant God. And most important so that the children of Israel would come to know God as their Lord and Savior. In verses 3 to 11, we have the encounter with Pharaoh. Look at verse 3. So Moses and Aaron came into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. Moses and Aaron were faithful to the Lord and they spoke the Lord's truth regardless of the place that they were where they were. Notice that they begin by saying, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews. They are letting Pharaoh know that they are conveying the words of Yahweh. And the message from God was, how long are you going to refuse to humble yourself before me? That was a good question for Pharaoh to really take to heart, to consider. God is basically saying to him, how long is it going to take, Pharaoh? You have already gone through seven plagues. You're still being stubborn. You're still being prideful. You're still being arrogant. That word humble there. It, it, it means to bow down, to submit. He's saying, how much longer will you refuse to submit to me? How much long, how, how long will you re- stubbornly refuse to obey? And Pharaoh was on the verge of being humbled by God, which is really what he needed. But he had opportunity to humble himself still by letting God's people go. And there's a big difference between being humbled by God and being humbled before God. There's a big difference. If Pharaoh continued to be stubborn and prideful, then God would have to do the humbling for him. The choice was up to Pharaoh. And we all have the same choice in our life, in our walk with the Lord. In dealing with our sin nature. Humility... We all know it doesn't come naturally. I mean, it, it, it's really God. <laughs> but the question for us is, are we allowing God to work in those areas where pride needs to be dealt with? Do we humble ourselves before the Lord in different situations and area in our lives that He wants to work with us, that He wants to deal with us in? Or do we get callous? Do we get stubborn? Do we get prideful? And there are many areas that this could apply to. Whether it's in marriage, where we need to show more humility 
It could be a work situation in dealing with an employer or an employee. It could be in the area of of being a parent or dealing with a parent. And it could be in the area of living a sinful lifestyle and not submitting to the Lord. And he's asking, how long are you going to put off being uh, repentant? 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6 tells us that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And there's many areas where pride and humility are they're in battle, they're in conflict with each other and we must we got to turn over our pride and, and and give it to the Lord and humble ourselves under his mighty hand and and take part in his grace. Notice God's demand at the end of verse 3. It said, "Let my people go that they may serve me." There's some important things in this statement that are God's saying here. He's saying it speaks of his ownership. The people belong to go. Let my people go. It speaks of ownership. It speaks of the purpose of freedom for the Israelites so that they can serve God. And it shows the authority of God. God's saying, I'm over you, Pharaoh. Let my people go. And the repetition Uh, The repetition since chapter 5 to this point to let his people go shows the extent of Pharaoh's rebelliousness all the way through up until this point. But it also shows the greatness of God's grace and his mercy. If you really look at it, he could have wiped out Pharaoh by this point. But he's offering grace and mercy. Look at verse 4. He says, Or else... If you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your territory. So even though God was commanding Pharaoh through the message that Moses and Aaron gave, the message offered grace. Even though Pharaoh was warned of the the imminent judgment that was going to come upon him, He was still given a chance to change his ways. And God is basically saying, I'll give you till tomorrow, Pharaoh. But Pharaoh was not a good steward of God's grace. And grace had been given to him. He always abused it. He wasted it. And as a result, judgment came. And it's tragic when a person abuses God's grace. Especially when the person claims to be a believer. Paul said in Romans 6.1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he gives a strong answer there in Romans 6.2, Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? God forbid. It's not right to live in a cycle of life where where a person just, you know, willfully lives a lifestyle of sin and and you know, I'm not talking we all go through temptation and we all, you know, every day we have to ask the Lord for forgiveness, but to live in that cycle of just rebelling against God, then coming back and 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 then willfully doing it over and over again. 
Paul says concerning that kind of lifestyle, he says, certainly not. God forbid. To Paul, that suggesting that a person can become a Christian and, and remain the same person that he was before he became a Christian, it, it just gives him an instant reaction. Certainly not. And it should have that kind of reaction in us. We should have an immediate reaction that says, no, that's crazy. I don't want to do that anymore. That's not what I gave my life to the Lord for. Jesus did not die on the cross and, and <coughs> die for my sins in order that I might live the old life that I once lived. It's actually a dishonor against the gospel. We need to be impacted with this because we live in a day where <clears throat> there's this, this sloppy kind of Christianity now. You know, where people are going around that, with the mentality that, you know, I can live any way I want. I don't have to change. I can take advantage of God's grace. You know, God's good and we can go to the bar and we can drink and have church service there, you know, and have wine and all that. You know, and it's crazy. Those are the things we got saved from. And it's different now. But this is the kind of stuff that gets into people's thinking. And what you have is not a, you don't see a difference between the life of the Christian and the life of somebody who's in the world. So once again, God's grace is extended to Pharaoh. Verses 5 and 6 describe the range of destruction to the land and the distress to the people. Look at verse 5. It says, And they shall cover the face of the earth, speaking of the locusts, so that no one will be able to see the earth. And they shall eat the residue of what is left, which remains to you from the hail. And they shall eat every tree which grows up, for you out of the field. So God's message to Pharaoh, the warning is that there will be so many locusts that they will cover the entire ground. The swarm of locusts will be so dense that no one will be able to see the land. And if Pharaoh refuses to let the people go, what's left of the agricultural wealth of Egypt is going to be wiped out. The words there, they shall eat every tree, describes exactly what the locusts will do to the plant life and it emphasizes the extent of the destruction to come. This plague that God sent on Egypt, it, 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 the tree huggers will go nuts with this. You know, it, it created an ecological problem. But the responsibility for this was not God's, it was Pharaoh's. You guys ever think about sometimes when you hear of things happening, you know, like tsunamis and things, and you go, man, how, you know, how much of this is God involved, you know, bringing judgment on pagan societies and stuff? I mean, we don't know, but you know, I sometimes wonder these things. I mean, it, look at after the election, we got rain. <laughs> Hallelujah, you know, I was like, Wow. His refusal. <laughs> yeah, we do. 
I, I think I have a cousin who, a niece who lives up in Yuba. Yeah, yeah. But Pharaoh's refusal to obey God and to show compassion on the Hebrews brought this judgment. Each plague offered Pharaoh the opportunity to yield to the Lord. He had plenty of time to comply. He had plenty of time to comply to God's demand. Even as people are given plenty of time to decide for Jesus. No one can blame God for the lack of time to repent. Verse 6 goes on to say, They shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants, and the houses of all the Egyptians, which neither your fathers nor your fathers' fathers have seen since the day that they were on the earth to this day. They shall fill your houses, could imply that Pharaoh had more than one house. And all of your servants, all his officials, is what it's speaking of. And all the Egyptians, includes all of the people of Egypt, which neither your fathers nor your fathers' fathers have seen. This speaks of the, the ancestors of the Egyptians. None of your Egyptian ancestors have seen anything like this. In the end of verse 6, I think that's a real interesting statement there. Um, it says, And he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Moses turned away and went out from Pharaoh. It, it, it suggests that he left in opposition. He left the palace without a resolution of their encounter. You know, to turn from a dignitary like that and just turn around and walk away from him. You know, it's kind of like, all right, I'm not going to walk backwards and give you the what you need. I'm turning around and I'm walking out on you. Moses turned his back and left. And Pharaoh is basically given a message that leaves no room for negotiations. He had to decide if he was going to obey and escape the locusts or not and invite the locusts. Even Pharaoh's own servants speak up strongly about the devastation that's going on. Look at verse 7. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? Pharaoh's advisors were pretty slick if you really look at what's going on here. Because they make it look like Moses is the problem. How long shall this man be a snare to us? But they knew, I, I really believe they knew there's, that Pharaoh was responsible for all that's happening in Egypt. And they asked the same question that God asked through Moses in verse 3. How long? How long? The real question was, how long was it going to take until Pharaoh realized that the Lord God of Israel was not only real, but he is the one true God. And by resisting God's demand, Pharaoh was only displaying the foolishness and he's on the he's in madness. You know, have you ever been in that point where <laughs> you go blind in, in anger or sin and you're willing to just, I'll drive off the freeway if I have to, you know, and you just do crazy. You can go get mad, you know, you can go nuts. Remember BC days before I got married and my wife, and, I mean, we're dating and just crazy stuff, you know, and chasing her on the car on the side of the road. Get in, you know, and just lucky we're not dead. You know, praise God for his mercy. 
goodness. They even declare to Pharaoh at the end of verse 7, do you not know that Egypt is destroyed? And what they're basically telling Pharaoh is, are you stupid? (laughs) Are you too dumb to realize? Are you too blind to realize what's going on here? And it's it's amazing how a person can get to that point of stubbornness, blindness, madness. It's a scary place to get to. And the only, only by giving your life to the Lord and the power of the Spirit can deal with our hearts when that tendency is there to, you know, we're ready to flip out, you know, in God's Spirit. You turn to Him and go, Lord, help me right here. The servants are practically begging Pharaoh to let the people go. And in verses 8 through 11, we have the response by Pharaoh. Look at verse 8. So Moses and Aaron were brought again to Pharaoh. And he said to them, go serve the Lord your God. And then it's interesting. So he goes, who are the ones that are going? But I think it it seems like the pressure of his servants resulted in Moses and Aaron being brought back into his presence again. And, And Pharaoh tells Moses and Aaron, go serve the Lord your God. But then that question there at the end of the verse, he says, who who's going? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who's going to go with you? Pharaoh's getting suspicious here. He's starting to think about what Moses' uh, his actual request was, and he's probably realizing that once they left to go worship God, that they were not going to come back. So before he gives permission, he wanted to know exactly who would be going. Look at verse 9. And Moses said, We will go with our young and with our old, with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and our herds. We will go, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. Moses let Pharaoh know that every one of the Hebrews was going to go as well as their possessions, their flocks. They would take everyone, everything, all the people and all the property. And the answer did not please Pharaoh. Look at verse 10. Then he said to them, the Lord had better be with you when I let you and your little ones go. He's being sarcastic here. This is not, Pharaoh's not saying, hey, he's not giving them a blessing. Saying, the Lord be with you, bro. But he's saying, the Lord had better be with you if you think I'm ever going to let you go. That's basically what he's saying. Pharaoh did not realize, though, how true his words were when he said that. The Lord had better be with you because the Lord was going to be with him, with them, as you guys will see a few chapters down. Notice the word beware at the end of verse 10. It means be careful or take heed. So when Pharaoh says, for evil is ahead of you, he's saying, you have some evil purpose in mind. Evil is before your faces. You're up to no good, huh? That's basically what he's saying there. For evil is ahead of you. Pharaoh is insinuating that they had some evil plot. And the reason Moses would take everybody is because that might better accomplish their plot. So Pharaoh is basically saying, look, Moses, I know what you're up to, and I'm not going to fall for it. Look at verse 11. 
the first two words are his entry. He goes, not so. And he says, go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. He says, not so, nothing doing. No, I'm not going to let you take all your dependents and all your possessions with you. You want to worship the Lord, don't you? That's what you want to do, right? That's what you're asking, so take the men and go. Just the men may go and worship. And this is not the first time Pharaoh agreed to let them go and worship but and give a stipulation. Back in chapter 8, you guys probably remember, uh, with the fourth plague, he says, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you shall not go very far. This time he's willing to let them go as far as they wanted, but they can't take the women and the children with them. So there's a few things going on in this exchange here. The obvious one is that Pharaoh wanted to make sure they're going to come back. So he knows if they left to worship God with all the flocks and the kids and the women and everybody that they're going to keep going. I'm out of here. And Pharaoh wanted to make sure that he got his labor force back. He wanted his slaves back. Also, Pharaoh might have assumed that the women and children did not matter when it came to worshiping God. Let the men go. They don't need to go worship God. They don't all have to leave. Let the men go and just get the religious duty over with. But overall, God wanted all his people to be free. From the very beginning, Pharaoh was told, let my people go. And that meant everyone. And there's an important spiritual issue at stake here. Worship is for the whole family. From the babies to the oldest person. God wants all his people to worship him. He wanted everybody to go. And we have to be careful with the compromising mindset, you know, where the world and even in the church, you know, don't push that on your family. Let them make their own choice. Let them make their own decision. And we have to be careful with Satan's schemes. Even as, you know, you look at what's happened in our school system with, you know, it's just amazing how your scholastic books and all that you can get, read harry potter and learn magic and you know but when it comes to the bible don't read the bible at school you be a christian but keep it on the down low hide your bible when you're out there put it at somewhere where nobody can see it don't be obvious don't be radical Many in our crazy society, want, you know, as we all know, they want to do away with God. But if it's not possible, let's water it down. Let's make it non-convicting. Let's use God, but not Jesus in our speeches at the Grammy Awards. You know? So Pharaoh was saying to Moses, you guys go do your religious thing, but leave your families out of it. And in the end of verse 11 says, and they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. That's what many in the world do. You know? 
Many in the world we live in, they don't want to embrace those who are dedicated to God. They want us to keep our dedication to the Lord in the church, in our little bubble. So they drive us out of their presence. And that's what Pharaoh did. He drove Moses and Aaron from his presence, unable to bow down to any God but himself. And the plagues are going to come, as you guys will see next week. The plague of locusts. So crazy, because if he had not been such a hard-hearted fool, he could have avoided a lot of judgment, man. And the locust was a warning to Pharaoh. And they are a warning to us. Because like the plagues, they are a preview of the final judgment that's going to happen in the end times. Turn to Revelation chapter 9 as we end here. Revelation 9, 2-10. Revelation 9, 2-10 says, And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. Ah, interesting. And to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing. Wow. Now this time they're not allowed to do that. But only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. That's the, 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 the life span of a, of a, of a locust. But they were, give, they were to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions and there were, city, were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. So this locust plague will be like a plague that has never happened before. It will be far more dread, dreadful than the locust plague of Egypt. Because instead of wiping out the plants, the locust will torment everyone who does not belong to the Lord. But we don't have to stay here. <laughs> the great news is that there is, a, there is a way to escape this plague. And that is to repent. To stay repented. Keep repenting. Lord, forgive me. I want to be right with you. Walk humbly before our Lord. And make sure, you guys, that we do not harden our hearts before the Lord like Pharaoh did. Judgment, hardness. Those are two main things that are going on here. Speaking of uh, hardened hearts, turn to Hebrews 3 real quick. Hebrews 3, 7 to 15. Hebrews 3, verse 7 to 15 says, 
Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness, when your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation, and said, They always go astray in their hearts, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any one of you an evil heart of unbelief, in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily. Well it is called today. Lest any of you be hardened. Through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ. If. We hold the beginning of our confidence. Steadfast to the end. Well it is said today. If you will hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts. As in the rebellion. Guys we need to make sure. That we do not harden our hearts. We need to guard against uh, becoming unreceptive to God's voice, to his word. To let him accomplish that work that he begun in us when we first gave our lives to him. We have to stay tender in our hearts to the Lord. Allow him to lead us. Allow him to speak to us. Allow him to minister to us. We need to order our lives in a manner that we just don't take the truth of the word, but we also practice it. We put it into practice. We, 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 we are transformed, as Romans says. Whether we were, think back, 5, 10, 20 years ago, we gave our lives to the Lord. We've got to continue that same excitement, that same drive, that, that same, you know, just new life that we knew we had. We need. We have to allow Jesus continue, to continue to be the Lord of our hearts. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for, Lord, what you show us in your word, Lord. We're looking at locusts and frogs and things like that, but Lord, you have such a purpose. Lord, you say that prophets and kings have longed to see what we see here, Lord. So help us, Lord, help me, help us all, Lord, to fight the good fight, Lord, to stay, as I mentioned, sensitive to your leading and your voice. And we would carve out that time, Lord, in the midst of all our busyness and all the things that race through our lives and our minds, that we would carve out that time to sit still and let you be God in our in our minds, in our souls, in our hearts, in our system, Lord. Thank you, Lord, thank you for your mercy, that we can escape the judgment to come and we lift our families, Lord. Help us to be men who minister to our kids and our grandchildren and our wives and, Lord, uncles, aunts, whoever it may be, Lord. We would not pay heed, Lord. We would not shy away from that, Lord, and not just say, well, they can see our lives. But that, Lord, if you would open up those doors that we may share in a, in a way that would just draw them to your, not confrontational, Lord, but that would draw them in or just even make them think about what their life's about. Lord, go before us now. Lord, we love you, Lord. We praise you for you alone have the words of eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.